We want to dive in with continuing in our series on who am I, the identity of the Christian. This is a, not a simplistic message, but a simple message, I believe. Um, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10, and then we're going to go line by line through this passage. Uh, uh, um, verse 1, here we go. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Say walk in love. And Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, uh, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's key there. But sexual immorality and impurity or covetousness must not be even named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, uh, no foolish talk, no crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, in parentheses, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them, for at one, at one time you were darkness, but now, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So I go through this passage. Um, read this passage. This passage is extremely um, special to me. I trusted Jesus Christ on November 15th, 1992, on Bowie State University's campus that morning around between 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. when I heard the gospel for the first time as a sophomore in college. And I remember going through a period of about a year and a half or so, or maybe a year, where, where I was meandering because I didn't have ecclesiological or church connectivity, nor that I have discipleship. And, 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 and you know, I was still struggling with my weed smoking, still struggling with honeys, um, you know what I'm saying, still struggling with just really identifying with the faith without discipleship. So a cat from New Brunswick, New Jersey came, came to the campus, became a student, started pouring into me. Um, and then I, I met a young lady, well, that fall, I, before I trusted Christ, but I met a young lady who, would, who was going to be my wife. I didn't know at the time that I had met my rib. Um, but, but I met my rib in that season. Amen. And, um, and I remember about, I don't know, it was about January, February of 94, um, my wife-to-be, Yvette, comes to me and she says, brother, you know, she was the serene Christian woman of Bowie State's campus. And she said, brother, you know, I want to read Ephesians 5, you know, just read it. You know when a Christian give you a verse to read, you know they're trying to tell you something, right? And so, um, and so ever since, you know, I, you know, and so, so I, I had just, I, you know, I, I was in that season where I, I, I was, and it's a continued season as I found out, where I was struggling with newness in Christ, in other words, I knew that I was bought with a price. I, I knew that I, I was saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. However, I didn't have God's visions for newness. 
And so as I read Ephesians chapter 5, God began to captivate my life for newness. He began to, he began to give me the, 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 a commitment and help me in the commitment of shedding my demonic skin. And, 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 if, and if any of you are, are, are in, under the sound of my voice, should not lie about it because every single one of us struggle with newness. It's not that you haven't been made new. The, the issue is, the question is, are you submitting to the newness that the gospel has empowered you to walk in? in? In other words, you're not trying to be new. You are new. So it's okay in this sense to get brand new on people. Somebody said, you trying to act all brand new. You're like, yeah, I am. You know what I'm saying? So, so, so it's nothing wrong with acting brand new because you've been made brand new. So in this section of the book of Ephesians, Paul begins to walk the, God, the people of God through what does it look like to be new in Christ or to walk in newness in Christ? That's going to be our title today. What it looks like to walk in newness in Christ. we got about four points that we're going to try to drive home today and kind of dive into today as we try to grapple with the idea of newness. The first thing, if you're going to walk in newness, is you must recognize that newness is sourced in Christ's character. Newness is sourced in Christ's character. You know, he says, therefore, be imitators of God. That's good. Then let's stop there. Let's talk about that for a little, little something, something. Because, because as he talks about uh, um, walking in newness, he, he begins with God. Now, because, just because he begins with God doesn't mean we check God off and then, okay, God, you're first, and now I do this thing on my own. Now, this idea of being imitated is in the present tense, meaning it's a continuous act in the present tense of the life of every believer. So being an imitator of God does not mean moralism. Say moralism. Moralism is the act of the person's life that views God or views Jesus as merely someone to be like but not be changed by. However, when you look at these verses and you look at being imitated, you're going to see in a second that God has empowered us to imitate him. That this, this idea of imitation is, is, is nothing new in the New Testament. I mean, it's not new in the Bible. Um, 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 God said in, in, under, the, under the law, he said, be holy as I am holy. That's imitation language. In other words, God has always been empowering his people who he's copped to imitate him. In other words, utilizing him as the ultimate, ultimate reality of what it looks like to be what he wants us and created us to be. So when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says, be an imitator. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, follow me or imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Stop there. Now, now, now that's a bold statement. That's a bold statement. Is your life submissive enough to Jesus? Have remnants enough of his empowerment practically functioning in your life where you can dare say to somebody, follow me as I follow Christ? Is there enough image of Jesus Christ functionally you've been conformed into where somebody can peek into your life and see enough of Jesus to walk like Jesus? 
He says in Philippians, he said, be anxious for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Whatever is pure, whatever is honorable, whatever is true, whatever is good of repute, let your mind dwell on these things. The things that you have learned and seen and heard in me, practice these things. Listen, and the God of peace will be with you. Notice he, 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 he talks about having a copable life. Say copable life. In other words, a life that walks with Jesus enough and you're on the progression of conformity to where people can look at you and say, I see Jesus. So he says, be imitators of God. He, that, that, that's going to lead the chapter of, of the, what we call practical application or obedience. But now he's going to give us, okay, now that, we, now that you've seen, okay, we're to be imitators of God. We're to imitate God. He, he, he calls you back to your identity that God changed you into as the fact that you've been empowered to imitate God. He says, as beloved children. Now, now beloved is not just me. I just feel good about you. Beloved means valued and prized. In the Greek, it means, it means to prize something and value something. It doesn't just mean here to place value on something that isn't valuable. It actually means transforming that thing by placing your affections on that person, on that place, or on that thing, and transforming it into lovability and into valuability, changing its value. So in other words, when you trusted Christ, you didn't come to the table with Jack. Okay? None of us came to the table with anything. And so because of the transformation, transformational power of the gospel, God has placed value on every believer. And so we see that this is centered on God centrally. Then he begins to say, okay, as beloved children, since you're beloved, this is what I want you to do, to walk in love. Walk in love. Now, remember from verse 1, we saw him say, walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. That, that idea there of walk means, means behavior. Means how you behave yourself based on the transformational power of the gospel on your life. Walking in love. Walking in love. It was like my grandmama used to say, if I was doing something, she could tell when I was ramping up to do something I had no business. She, she got me before I got over the threshold. And what she'd say to me is, boy, behave yourself. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 so, and so this idea of behavior means that it's, it points to ethics. Ethics is not, not, only, not only having theological information, not only having theological astuteness, but the idea even points back to Proverbs where it uses the word chakma. Say chakma. Hakma means wisdom. New, New Testament means uh, is Sophia. It means to skillfully live out the information that's been given to you. In other words, it doesn't mean just having information and, 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 and have, like Pastor Larry says, having a, a Charlie Brown head and an olive oil body. What it means is, you, you know, you, I was looking at my son and my, my youngest, and I said, baby, he's a cute little boy. He got, he got a big head, baby. You know what I'm saying? And you see his body, he's like, you know, I don't know y'all remember the Flintstones, Mr. The Great Gazoo. Y'all remember Great Gazoo. Great Gazoo had a big old massive head. His body was about like that. You know what I'm saying? Um, um, um. See, see, here, when we talk about walking, walking or behavior means based on the right information about the right God, it transforms you, and then you're able to behave through the gospel based on the transformation that came through the information. 
However, it's not just the intake of information to have a love affair with information, but it's to have a love affair of the one that you're supposed to be imitating. I wish I had some help right now. And so, and so God has called you, God, God has called you to a standard of life. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, he says, adding to your faith moral excellence. Moral excellence is the ability to be committed to God's standards. That means that when Christ imputed you with his righteousness, he didn't just give you the law. He gave you the execution of the ability to walk in Jesus' fulfillment of the law, Matthew chapter 5, 17. So he says, walk in love. Now let's look at this idea of love. Love here. Now, when he talks about this idea of love here in this passage, um, 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 he's doing something interestingly. And, and, and he gives us the one. See, everybody uses the word like, you got to love. You got to just love people. Man, I'm about love. And, it's all, and really, love is don't confront. Love means there's never tension in the relationship. Love means do what I want so that you can, listen, so that me and you can be okay just as long as you do things like I want you to do it. But see, if you read the Bible long enough, you will recognize that God loved with an ugly face. Oh, y'all don't, listen, listen, God, listen, God loved in a multiplicity of ways through Christ. As the Bible says, walk in love, and who, who defines what that love looks like? Look at verse 2. It's right there in the text, family. It says, and walk in love as Christ loved us. Now, this idea of walk in love, let me, let me go back to that for a second. <clears throat> this is very important. It's going to influence the chapter all the way up till we get to verse 2 of chapter 6. So this idea of walking in love, he's going to show you how to walk in love with relationships with other believers, how to walk in love with non-believers, how to walk in love with your wife, amen, how to walk in love with your husband, how to walk in love with the Holy Spirit. It's going to teach you like the, all of these things and then how to walk in love with your children, right? And, 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 so, and so here, this love is to reflect Christ's commitment to the execution of love as reflected in the incarnational life of Jesus Christ. So he says, if you want to know what love is like, <clears throat> if you want to know what love is like, look at Jesus, from, from, from his birth to his death, even though we know he was love in his preexistence and, and, and his ascension, it, it, it really zooms it into his earthly life here for a very particular reason that's very, very important that climaxes itself in the cross and the resurrection, okay? Um, but he says, walk in love, and, and, and he talks about it in relation to reflecting Christ's love. Now, if you look at Jesus' life, Jesus loved multifacetedly. In other words, he loved in a way that it reflected every facet of the character of God by being faithful to God because his love for others did not violate God. Okay? Now, 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 love is no longer love if it violates God's character. Okay, so now, he, it, it's embedded in two ideas. Number one, it's embedded in, uh, and really, not just our understanding of agape, which we, we kind of dive into saying unconditional love. That's kind of a first base meaning of agape. However, agape taken, see, that's, a, that's you know, unconditional love. We like that definition. Be, but but let's, let's further it because it's, it's got to hurt because two terms are used here. in hurting terms, offering and sacrifice. 
Offering and sacrifice means in this text, in this context, that love is sometimes painful. <laughs> listen, love is sometimes painful. Jesus loved us enough to, see, if I was on the, listen, let me tell you something. Let me, let me just tell you something. If I was on the cross and cats was spitting on my way there or in my grill, took skin off me, and I'm all up on the cross. You know, what if Jesus on the cross would say, yeah, listen, um, hey, um, do you see what I'm going through up here? You know what I'm saying? Look at, look at my, I mean, look at all the blood coming out, and I'm doing this for you. I mean, in other words, love is not, love is not just, love is not just the act, but it's the posture. I mean, let me, let me see if I can make it plain. Let me see if I can make it plain. See, my wife, right, I'll be, you know, I'm ready to turn on the lawn. I got on my bedroom shoes. You know, I got on my little Jordan shorts with my little wife beat. I'm walking up the steps. You know, whoo, had me some yogurt and, you know, everything. I'm going up the steps. Everything is all right. So I'm turning off the light. The boy, I'm checking on the boys. I always touch my younger to see if he breathing. I look at my other one to see if he sleep. I'm just annoyed like that, right? So I go in the room. I'm like, hey, baby, we're ready for some pillow talk. She says, baby. And I know what that means. Not what you think it means. But it's, it, it means go get something. Um, now, you got to understand, it takes me, I got, a, I got a system of getting ready for bed. So that when, because my wife gets angry at me because I hit the pillow and I'm sh snoring up some stuff immediately. However, I'm ready to hit the pillow because I've set my stuff up so that when I get in the bed, I'm all right. But, but, but she says, baby, can you go down in the basement? And can you look under the third box, under the, I'm like, I'm like, what? And you know what I'm going to do? I'm, a, I'm you know, because I know what she's going to say to me, some scriptures or something. So, so, so I go down, I just stomp down the steps, you know. You know what I'm saying? I just stomp down the steps, not waking the kids up, you know, because I'm, I'm hot. Now, I, was, I went to serve her sacrificially, but it wasn't really a sacrifice because of the way I acted in doing it. In other words, the, the, the way I acted negated it being an offering, or a sacrifice. See, when you love somebody, it should be an offering. Listen to what it says. It says Jesus as his offering was a fragrance to God. In other words, the way you love, is it a fragrance to God and is it a fragrance to people? Now, Jesus loved in two ways. He loved in seeking, listen, seeking the best for others in God's view and sometimes people's view. Because see, sometimes the way you love people isn't the way they want to be loved, but it's the way that God wants you to love them. Oh, I wish I had some help. Well, uh, Peter, 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 J Jesus, you ain't going to the cross. Yeah, see what I'm all, that's how I check Jesus. Peter starts checking Jesus, right? Right? What did Jesus, Jesus, J Jesus, I, I think Jesus was walking, he stopped. And he just thought, I believe he started praying, you know. Don't let me wipe this dude out right now. No, I'm just joking. But he turns around and he says, get behind me, Satan. For you're not seeking the interests of God, but the interests of man. Guess what he was doing to Peter? Loving that cat. Because, in other words, in Jesus' estimation, if you were stopping him from loving from God's standpoint, you were getting in the way of his commitment to God. So, so in other words, in other, in other, in other words the, the co commitment should rebuke sometimes. Love should rebuke sometimes. But guess what it should also do? It should receive those who are responsive. The Seraphonician woman or the Canaanite woman come to him and say, Jesus, I, I, my, my daughter's out of her mind. 
can you help her? Jesus said, it is not for us to give the, the, the bread off the table for the dogs. They was like, dang, he called her a dog, you know. And she was like, well, even the dogs eat the crumbs that come from the master's table. Jesus was like, whoa. Jesus was like, that's what's up. That's what's up. That's what's up. Jesus was like, Jesus was like, this is phenomenal. And guess what he did? He said, your faith has healed her. And he loved her. Why? Because she received him. And he loved her based on a biblical understanding of love, which was based on faith, which is pleasing to God. So therefore, healing her loved her and loved God at the same time. See the two? So there's rebuking love and there's receptive love. It's it's beautiful to see God at work uh, um, in these two ways. And you have to, we as believers have to incorporate these into our life in all all of its facets. (laughs) But then he says, but then he says after that, he says, which brings us to our next point. Um, if you're going to walk in newness, it is also seen in recognizing gain. You know what you saw in the world when they say game, recognize gain? Everybody got game. Did you know you got game? Paul about to talk about game right now. He said, oh, y'all got game. So let me just put the, put the game on blast right now. So he's going to spend some time putting the game of life on blast in relation to cultural influences that are embedded in why the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15 sent several things to the Gentiles, not to make them righteous, but to show that they were righteous by fighting against sexual immorality, greed, and idolatry. Now, in this text right here, we're going to see how he does that. Now, if you look in every letter like Pastor Blake said when he came here, you'll see that the influence of the letter that went out from the Jerusalem Council was embedded in every single letter and, and, and jamming the Gentiles up on the greatest two. Like, the Gentiles was cool. Like, don't do that. Do, are we cool with that? But don't mess with my sex and don't mess with my idolatry. That's what they were like. So he's like, no, nah, we got to put it all on blast if we're going to walk in the newness in Christ. So he says, and recognize the game, number one, he says, he says, but sexual immorality, porneia, means everything. Not just going all the way, but everything that ramps you to all the way and after the way has been made. Amen. All right? So, so that, means, that means everything. Everything. I'm going to say it again. All impurity. He just kind of runs the gambit. Covetousness. That means looking at something that's not yours or someone that's not yours and wanting it. In other words, a dissatisfaction with the blessings of God. In other words, you're never satisfied with anything. So therefore, even when God gives you something, it runs out real fast because God isn't your source. And because God isn't your source, you just want stuff from him. You don't want him. And therefore, you're not easily satisfied. Therefore, you go outside of God's influences in order to help yourself be satisfied. But then when you go outside of his influences, you're still not satisfied because you weren't built for those things to satisfy you in the first place. And so, and so he says, no filthiness or foolish talk. I like, you know, I like the old school translation. They just said no coarse jessing. It, it, it's just like, you know, I, I just went back and I, I haven't looked at battle rhyming in a long time. Man, I looked at some Batman cats. Man, they brutal. Like, oh, my, I mean, I mean, I, I, mean, I, mean, I, mean, they, they talk, I mean, they talking about your mama in ways that we would have smoked you over back in the day. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, bro, dudes are talking about doing sexual acts to your mom in the rhyme. Like, see, I, see, that's why I know I'm saved. See, I'm listening to the joint. I'm wild. I'm like, and, and, and the goal of the spinning is to absolutely assassinate the identity of the other cat you spitting at. 
In other words, the better I assassinate your identity, the better I win. And so here in the text, it says, that, it says that one of the things that we shouldn't be doing as believers is assassinating the identity of other believers. Coarse jesting means crude humor. It doesn't mean not laughing, not having humor. You can't, oh, see, we can't go to the comedy club no more. I ain't talking about that. I am talking about, you know, assassinating with in mind ruining someone's outlook on Jesus. That's what it means in this, in this, in, 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 in this, in this time. When you, if, even if you love someone through challenging him, it shouldn't assassinate their identity in Christ. And so, and so, and so, and so here, it even talks about the idea of it when you look at um, a filthiness and food, no foolish talk, no crude humor, which is out of place. But it says, but instead giving forth praise. We're going to talk about that when we get into the part about uh, Ephesians 5. Uh, Ephesians 5, like uh, when we get into being filled with the Spirit, we're going to talk about that in a second. But it's talking about, he's talking about here about how believers should create an environment with one another because we have a new nature in Christ. Create an environment where we're creating an environment of thankfulness and causing other believers to have thankfulness towards the Lord. In other words, in your relationships with people, do, how do people walk away in their interaction with you? Do they walk away thankful? Or do they walk away in a way where they want to be more committed to Jesus Christ? Then he goes down and he says something. He says, something. He says, he says for you may be sure of this. You may be sure of this. That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is, like, who is covetous, then he, then he sums it up, that is an idolater. You'll see that in Colossians chapter 3 when he names all of these sins, and then he says, and it all can be summed up in idolatry. Um, in other words, sins that, 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 that create the, uh, uh, image worship. The word means image worship. In other words, to create an image of what you want to imitate more than what you want to imitate through God. He says, be imitators of God, but here he says, what happens is, is when you walk in a substandard idea of your identity in Christ, is you create a false image. In other words, a false image of you and a false image of what God is like. And so in light of doing that false image, he begins to tell them all of this amounts to idolatry. He says, but check this out. He says, the person that does this has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. What is he saying there? He's saying that your Listen, you're acting like a person that doesn't know Jesus. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, I believe it is, he names all these sins. He, he, says, he says, and such were some of you, and he names all of these sins. And after he names it, he, then he says, but you were cleansed, but you were washed. And then, he's, then he says, therefore glorify God in your body. In other words, because of Christ's death on the cross, he's, he's, he's resurrected us to a new life, and in resurrecting us to that new life, what has he done? He's, he's helped us with the ability to not walk in the fruit of our former identity. That, that's, that's what we're called to do as Christians. Now, I, this was a struggle for me when I first became a Christian. I mean, and still, a struggle. Now, some of us say, well, you know, when I first started believing, you know, I had some struggles. But now I'm just in glorification mode. And so, you know, I, I've, 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 I've experienced Wesleyan perfection, uh, and it's quadrilateral. Uh, and, so, um, and so I don't sin anymore. Uh, or, you know, I do a little something, something. But in other words, some of you act like you ain't struggling with nothing. But to be honest, you are. You struggling with the identity crisis of not identifying with the king that bought you. You're struggling with it. Yes, you are. Stop lying. I'm looking right at you. 
You're lying. You're struggling. You're, you're having a hard time. And, and it's also because you're trying to live out your identity without the identity, the one who gave you the identity. And so, and so God has called us to do what he says next. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words. This is great. This is great. He, he basically says, there will be people in your life that will entice you, Gentiles. That's what he's saying here to an identity format that God didn't buy you to live out. Uh, in other words, this, 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 this idea points to several, several ideas in our culture. Get rich or die trying. I heard off a mixtape. I can't even say all the words from the doggone verses. With Nicki Minaj and um, uh, uh, Lil' Kim, it's called Freaky Girl. I'm going to just read just a, a part of the, 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 the hook, the Gucci Man. So he says, She's a very freaky girl. Don't bring her to mama. Stop laughing, Rob. First, you get her name, then you get her number, then you get some, something there in the front seat of the Hummer. So, like, I'm just, let me just tell y'all something I'm blown away about in our car. Like, back in the day, being a freak was kind of taboo. Like, 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 I mean... Like now, though, can I walk? I just want to walk to this side one more time. Like, like, like now in our culture, it's like being a freak is the way, like it's the way of the game. In other words, so what happens is, girl, you're no longer a freak. I want you to view being a freak differently. Let's, let's, let's heighten the standard of freakdom. Long as you get something in return doesn't make you a freak. It just makes you a good opportunist. So therefore, and then you're like, you know what? I can be. I can be what you want me to be. And then, and then you go through all of these. Oh, y'all think that's the only thing in our culture? It's a show called Californication. I didn't even watch it because fornication, right? But it says the series revolves around Hank Moody, a novelist plagued by personal demons. He blames his longtime writer's block on a variety of reasons, ranging from the hedonism of Los Angeles to the departure of his girlfriend, Karen. Hank consistently deals with consequences of his inability to say no to sex, drugs, and alcohol while trying to show his family that he is a good person. Title of a real, girl, a real world show is Real World for MTV, Girls Who Like Girls Who Like Girls Who Like Sex. Now see, that's, that's y'all day. See, my day back in there, we had something called A, a Piece of My Love. By God. He said, you can have a piece of my love, baby. You can't have all of me because I'm not totally free. I can't tell you everything that's going on, baby. There's a few things in my past that should not be explained. But right here now, baby, he go across stage like this and the women, ah! And basically he's saying, you can have a piece of me. I got some stuff in my past that I don't want to tell you about. But I'll make our time together sexually feel like you have all of me, even though you're getting me in a limited capacity. <laughs> in other words, let no one deceive you with empty words. Because some of us right now are in some mess because we're deceived by empty words. Some guys have gotten your, your stuff, ladies, because he's deceiving you with empty words. And he knows you're a Christian, right? And, and, but, but, but he running game on you. Because you don't know your identity, and you're so in need of some, you're so in need of love, you're so in need of a relationship that you let the cat get at it. Now, fellas, you do the same thing. You running game on somebody. 
Oh, we're going to get everybody today. Amen, amen. In, 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 other, in other words, we should not let the world give us an identity when God has already bought us through Christ with an identity. I'm not saying that all secular everything is, I'm not one of people, don't listen to secular music, don't go to the movie, don't do this. I mean, we're not talking about retreating from culture. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about making the culture your community diet. In other words, the nutrition of your soul is developed by false ideas about God, his people, and his word. So, 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 so in this passage, he's, he's trying to help us. He said, this is not, he said, this is not, he says, this is not your steeds anymore, uh, 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 Ephesian believers. This is not the way you walk in love, right? We've been empowered <laughs> through the gospel to be able to, be able to walk in this newness of life. He says, for because of these things in the text, look at it, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against the sons of disobedience. Now, it's, interest, it's interesting here that he talks about the sons of disobedience when he told us we were formerly in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, sons of disobedience, and people who God's wrath, we were sons of wrath, sons of disobedience, but now we're beloved, so therefore we're walking in a way that God has brought us from. And I just wish that we as believers would begin to value the faith. It, it, it's still taking me time today in my walk with Jesus to continue to value the faith. To value that the, the value that comes through Christ is more valuable than anything else. In other words, let me stop submitting what God has recreated to a substandard environment of influence. Let me see if I can help. Uh, you know, you know that, that's like taking a suede jacket. It, it feels just, I don't know if you feel some new suede. And you touched it and you, a chill just went down your spine because the suede was so nice. You feel like you, and then you, but, 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 but instead of taking it, where it's supposed to go to get clean, you put it in the washing machine. Then you take it out of there and put the dryer on high heat and throw the suede jacket in the dryer. In other words, you're exposing that jacket to an environment that it wasn't created to be in. See, that's what we do with our lives. We, 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 we expose our lives to an environment that God didn't recreate us to be placed in. And so God has given us the grace to do what he says next. And this is uh, our last point. It's also seen, if you're going to walk in newness, it's seen, also it's sensed through discernment. That is, newness in Christ is sensed, I use that word on purpose, through discernment. Look at, the, look at verse 10. Then we're going to shut it down. It says, in verse 10, he says, and try, oh, I'm sorry, back up, I'm tripping. Verse 7, I'm just skipping stuff. Therefore, do not associate with them. New American Standard and, and other translations say, do not be partakers with them. This interesting word here. This, this word for partakers isn't the usual word. It's another word that's associated with the word koinonia. But it's another word that points to, uh, 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 to, to cast one's lot with someone. It, 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 means, it means sharing in the possession of a relationship with someone. It can literally be translated to be an accomplice in a plot. <laughs> Point, like, like back in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 through 16, uh, where, where Solomon is talking to Rehoboam about the type of community that he develops. And for the most of the book of the parts of the Proverbs that he wrote, he says, son, there are two communities of people. He says, there's a community of the Nabal, that's a stupid fool. That's what the Hebrew word means, a stupid fool. But then there's the community of the chakma, those who seek to skillfully live out God's truth. 
Now, you got to choose which community you're going to be in because as you choose which community you're going to be in, your soul is going to bear the fruit of the community that you put yourself into. Are you with me? And so he says, do not associate with them. Well, if we look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, it says that we have become, verse 4, sorry, you, you have become partakers of the divine nature. In other words, in that context, it means that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit was hanging with each other for eternity. And they decided at some point in eternity past that they were going to allow human beings who were redeemed by Jesus Christ to hang out with them forever. So when we become partakers of the divine nature, the word there is, coined, is partakers, which means to have something in common with and to associate with and enjoy the, the, the environment of someone, someplace, or something. Therefore, God created you to enjoy his presence. Therefore, when you enjoy God's presence, it makes bad presences, if that's a word, not feel right. See, that's why some of y'all don't like worship. See, I, see you, you already got God's presence in you. I wish I had time for us to have, you should get the organ out real quick. Because, because, because when, you, when you bask in God's presence, you begin to enjoy the reason why he created you. You know, my devotional time, as I've gotten in the word of God and I get in prayer, sometimes I just turn on some music that just points me Godward. So that I can just bask, so I can just bask in his presence and enjoy the fact that I got a relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they say, come on and hang out with us. And so I want to take advantage of being able to hang out with my king. That's why he says, don't be partakers with them. In other words, worshiping other gods is not to enjoy the presence of God because God isn't the God you're worshiping. And so, and so, and so, and so here, in, 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 like in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 14 through 16, which says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. We always apply that to dating. But in that text, it means who you do life with. Who do you do? Who, who? Now, I'm not saying you don't, you don't develop contacts with non-believers to be able to engage them with the gospel and to show them the love of Christ and to, and to be a good neighbor. He's not talking about that. He's talking about who pours into you nutrients. Who, who encourages you, who, 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 who helps you to develop in your faith in Christ, and who can you just un, 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 unavailably enjoy being unequally yoked? It means here, it means to um, have, have an equality exchange. I like that, an equality exchange. Well, what that, what that mean? I, I, you know, I'm a coffee dude. I'm a co I, you know, I can smell coffee if it's brewed, and I can tell you it's nasty. I can tell you, right? Um, I, I started liking because of my wife organic stuff, organic food. You know, wife, when you get a wife, fellas, and, and she look at your weight, she start changing your diet. Um, um, you know, I started liking organic stuff. You know, I start, but I still, I ain't feeling hummus. So I'm just telling y'all right now, I ain't eating no chickpeas and stuff, smashed chickpeas with peppers and garlic. I just, I like peppers, garlic, boo to the chickpeas, okay? So, so, um, so, 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 however, However, one of the things I started seeing on different organically or agriculturally created material, it says fair trade. And on fair trade, it means that a, a, more, a larger economic giant comes in to a third world country or a people group or migrant farm, not migrant farmers, but uh, sharecroppers or people who own a crop like coffee or, or, uh, or, or uh, what's that, acai or acai berries or whatever. And somebody's like, acai, get some. But it... it it's interesting that they go in and they call it fair trade because sometimes the giant comes in 
and basically sell, trade them for something of less value and take what's valuable of them and sell it for more than uh, what they actually traded for. In other words, he says there's a fair trade, an equal level of trade. Do you have people in your life that's a fair trade? Some of y'all in our imbalanced trade relationships. In other words, you're, you're, you're giving away something valuable, and they're trading it for something that's worth nothing. What, 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 in other words, God is calling us. God is calling us as believers to walk in newness. This, and the fact that this is real newness, and he gives, you, he gives you theological reasoning right here. He says, for you were one time darkness. He didn't say you were in darkness. He just said you were you just dark. You smoke it in a mug, just puffer. I mean, you just dark, right? He says you were just, you were just marinating in darkness, right? You, you, you were darkness. But then look what he says, what's beautiful, right? After he says you were dark, at one time you were dark, but now you are light in the Lord. In, 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 in other words, now, Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says, he has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his marvelous son. I, I, I like that. Another verse points us to 1 Timothy 6.13 says, God dwells in unapproachable light. That's, that's incredible. That's incredible. God dwells in unapproachable light. So, in other words, before you get to the dwelling presence of God, there's emanating un unforeseeable light that you have to get through in order to get to his dwelling presence. Um, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, that there is no darkness in God at all. It's a double negation there in the Greek to point to. Double negation doesn't mean a positive. It means a further negation. It means, it can be translated, there is no darkness in God. No, none at all. In other words, God is a, he's, he's light, and therefore we are children of the light. Children of the light in John's theology means to be exposed by the word of God and to be exposed to the word of God. So, so here in this passage, as we look at walking as a child of the light, that means we don't keep secrets. We don't walk in secrets. We don't have secret lives. We got a transformed life. And in everything in our life that's raggedy, we expose it to the light for the transformation power of the gospel to get to it. So no more creeping. No more sneaking. No more rolling out. No more gooning. No more fooning. No more buffooning because you've been changed by the gospel. You've been changed. And as he says, walk as children of the light. He says, it looks like something, though. He said, the fruit of the light is good, meaning how you treat others. It's right. It's upright behavior. It's true. It means you have authenticity and integrity. In other words, when no one's around and no one's looking, you are able to lean on the Lord to give you strength to be and walk in the holiness of Christ without accountability, but only to God at that point. Some things, accountability, covenant eyes, and somebody's cell phone number won't help you with. You got to just want to be right. I wish I had some help. Some of y'all need, see, I, I, you just got to want to be right. You, I mean, I mean, I mean, you got to want, see, if you don't, you, it's ways around every firewall that you set up spiritually in your life. So if you really don't want newness, you can just say, you can just go, wow, but God is the ultimate firewall for sin. He's the ultimate firewall for sin. <laughs> And if you don't want him, no matter what you put in place as a moralistic measure of accountability, it will not work.
It won't work. I, I got to close this thing down. I know I got to shut up. Last thing, and I'm out your way. Verse 10. He says, I try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I love that. Discern here, interesting word, to make critical examination of whether or something's real or not. <laughs> to critically examine something to see and show whether or not it's real or not. The same word is used in 1 Peter chapter 1 about what God does to us through trials to purify us to show the genuineness of our faith. In other words, Romans chapter 12 verse 1, I mean verse 2, points to the ability of the believer as we present our bodies a living sacrifice, holding acceptable unto God, in a, such a way that we're able as we sacrifice and are broken by God, by the gospel, to be able to discern what God's will is. So that means this discernment here says, it says to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Notice it didn't say to be pleasing to the Lord. Because Jesus Christ was already pleased the Lord on the cross. Because God was pleased to crush him. So you need to stop trying to please God. Stop trying to live in a way to please God. You've, Christ has already pleased God for you. All you're doing is walking in the pleasure that Christ has already pleased the Father with. So now you got to learn how to recognize that pleasure. How do you recognize that pleasure? By growing the heck up. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 13 says, those who are babies can't recognize nothing. Those who grow up are skilled in the word of righteousness, able to discern good from evil. Many of us, I'm, I'm, this is the sermon every, grow up. It, it be, and, it's, and, and, and pleasing, pleasing is, and, and this is how you know something pleasing. This, I'm shutting up, I promise. I know I've been up here a minute. Can I just say one more thing? See, see, you, you know, this is, this is how, see, see, these are your three bases to help you to know something's pleasing or not. Number one, the Holy Ghost. Because the Bible says that he will lead us into all truth, right? Number two is God's word, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my paths, path, but then solid believers around you. Acts 15, 22. Now, many of us don't ask when we really want something, those three points of reference, because we already decided we wanted it. And because we want it so bad, we rationalize it in our mind because we don't want nobody to tell us nothing. But see, but see, the Holy Spirit, know what he does? He's in you. And so what he does is he gives you this heart, this thing in your spirit. I can't explain it. It is a feeling, though. And, 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 and what will happen is something just ain't right. That's called, a, that's called the Holy Spirit. It ain't called indigestion, heartburn. It's, it's the Holy Spirit. Listen, he's telling you no in HD. That's, that, that's how he does it. But then, then it's the word of God. But then you see it both explicitly and implicitly. Now, some of y'all say, well, the word of God don't clearly say, well, the word of God sometimes imply what you shouldn't be walking in, right? But then you got other believers. I mean, you got to have solid people around. You can't be rare born who only got people your spiritual age around you. Oh, I wish I had some help on that one. So there are three strikes. Now, if all of them are saying no on something, know what you need to do? Shut up and do what God wants you to do. But most of us, <coughs> what we say, what, 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 what many times happens in our souls is we try to rationalize the way of God's means of grace. <laughs> and, and, and you need to, to strike one. Does the, how does the Holy Spirit? 
No, nah, Holy Spirit. Oh, man. See, if you're around other believers and you brought him around or her around and nobody feels good about him. Nobody feels good. Everybody's like, you know, I don't know him, but ah. If they do that, you need to run for your life. But you know what we do? We investigate beyond our strength. I wish I had some help. And you get emotionally attached to what you want so that you're blinded by the Holy. You're not blind. You're blinded to the counsel of the spirit, the counsel of the word, and the counsel of the people of God. And therefore, you begin. So people just keep kind of reason why they're mad at you because you don't listen to nothing. That's why nobody don't call you no more. They say, you don't want to listen, do your thing. We just go on and do it, and I want you to see how it works out. And we'll be here to love you when you come back. But right now, do your thing. But I want to be the person that, that when the Spirit of God hit me, I want to be like, oh, something don't feel right. But, I, you know, I don't know. I don't, I, it could be my feelings. Uh, you know, what does the Word say? Oh, the Word's saying no. I have some solid believers. They're like, you're right, brother. But then those three places of influence can also give you great yeses. <laughs> can give you great yeses. Great yeses. Listen, I'm going to just say this as a pastoral thing. If, 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 if I'm shepherding you and I tell you no to something or give you kind of like a layout of something, it's because you're loved. It's because you're loved, not hated. Because my goal as a shepherd is to make sure that you have joy to the full in Jesus. That's my goal. Anything that is substandard of God's glorification and, and the joy in the Lord and your growth sometimes is going to hurt when I tell you no. So I'm just going to leave it there. I want you, though, to look in your life right now and ask God, open up every area of your life to say, God, I want to walk in Christ's pleasure in every area of my life. Will, will you help my life not to be substandard? You have given me an above standard sacrifice on the cross. So help me repent of my sin and turn to Jesus Christ. By grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. It's both for justification, it's for sanctification, and it's also for glorification. Father, we honor you for your word. We honor you that you are our God and our ruler and our life. Lord God, you're not a party pooper. You're a party developer. You love parties. You just want them had on your terms. So God, I pray that we would learn how to walk in the new nature in a way that is enjoyable and submissive, yet not running away from the pain of your nose. Will we learn how to accept the sacrifice of no and the sacrifice of yes in our lives in such a way that, Lord God, you continue us on the trajectory of what it looks like to look functionally and practically like the Lord Jesus Christ in every single area of our lives. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.